Welcome to the Wealth Edit Podcast, a place where talking about finances is only polite. We talk to women and hear the stories behind how they've built their beautiful lives, whether that be inside or outside the home. I'm Emily Lasser, and on this show, Lauren and I interview Danielle Rollins of Danielle Rollins Interiors. Danielle candidly shares how she's built her business after going through a difficult divorce and why she believes understanding the business side of her design business has been a large part of her success. Danielle also spends time discussing some of the mistakes she's made and how she's turned them into learning experiences rather than regrets. Good morning, everybody. We are so excited to have Danielle Rollins here with us today. Designer extraordinaire. Lauren and I always just love to look at all your pictures you post. I mean, you're interiors are exquisite and so good on top of this I'm so excited you're here today because you have a wonderful story and a story that so aligns with what we are trying to do here at the Wealth Edit and so thank you um thank you for being open and for sharing and I'll let us just like jump right in because there's so much to talk about yeah perfect. So, yay well thank you Danielle so maybe just start off with telling us a little bit you were just sharing with us a little bit about how um you got into design in the first place. Okay, so Danielle, we're going to let you take it away. Share with us how, how you ended up where you are today. I think so many women end up in a position that they never thought that they would end up because I think it's about the experiences we have in our lives that help us shape where we see where we want to go and we find usefulness and we find value. And it's certainly my case. I um, had been a stay-at-home mother and community volunteer for two decades, taking care of my kids, taking care of a corporate husband. And I got a very awful divorce, um, about as awful as they get, um, and had somebody who was literally hell-bent on destroying me. And that was a really awful thing to go through because you know here you've put your heart and soul into building a life with someone and it's over and it shouldn't have been the way it was, but it was the pull your big girl pants on, it is the way it is. And so I have an English degree um, from Holland's University. I had always intended to do something with writing, but just after I got a divorce, I published my first book with Rizzoli called Soiree Entertaining with Style. And here I'm going through this horrible, very, very public um, separation and I'm going on book tours and speaking to four and 500 women about gracious living and stylish entertaining. And sitting there thinking, I have just been evicted from my home, lost everything that made this book really what I thought the book was about. And I was like, the irony is not lost on me. And it made me kind of really dig deep and think about why we entertain, why we decorate, why we even focus on having nice lifestyles, what it really means. And I think that helped me find my voice and kind of find a vision for where I wanted to go with my life. And I decided I could either open an event planning company or a design firm. And those were really my two like, okay, let me sit down and weigh the pros and cons of how this is gonna work. In either one of the scenarios I had, a lot of drive, but I had no business background. I didn't know how to do a lot of the stuff that would need to be done to set those up. But I've been so passionate about interior design and thought, well, the worst I can do is fail. And I've done that so many times, what difference would it make? And so I opened up my own design firm and I literally just hustled. I 
started uh, decorating for friends. I would decorate for my parents' friends. I mean, I, I was so at the point where I was convinced I could be really successful that I was like dragging people and be like, here, take this, I'll give this to you, I'll do this for you. And I hustled. I went to every single design um, show. I went to LCDQ, I went to High Point, I went to um, Dallas Mart. I, I went and I walked the halls of the Atlanta Decorative Arts Center. Um, I went into every single showroom, took samples, set up accounts, introduced myself. And it's, you know, it all kind of went counter to what I'm comfortable with. And it was having to get out of that zone. And it was really doing the actual work that I discovered how damn good I am at it. And I think that's, um, as women, we always sort of try to be like, oh, you know, very demure. It's not that. And I think it, it, it's been a long road for me, at least 12 years for me to say, you know what, I am that good, I am that talented, I own it, and that I've made this successful. And I think no matter what anybody does, it's 10 years to build a brand, and it's 10 years of hard work. And you can go to school for so many things. There's certain things you just can't be taught by somebody else. You can only be taught by doing it yourself and by making mistakes. And I think the mistakes are the things that teach you the most about um, yourself, your career, um, how talented you are or not talented, how hardworking. And I always tell people, I, I don't know that the talent matters. I will work 10 times harder to be successful and I know I can outwork somebody else. And that's always sort of been my, my driving force is I knew I could work harder and I could make it work through my own effort. And that, you know, just that getting up, you know, going to bed at night and thinking this is a failure, this is not going to work, getting up the next morning and thinking, okay, I'm ready to start a whole new day. And so I, I think it's just, you know, continually to do it. And I, I taught myself so many of the things, um, I'm hiring a new assistant and I was, she's young, and I was going through social media stuff with her the other day. And I literally said, listen, if I taught myself how to do Instagram and I, I handle all of my Instagram by myself since the inception, I handled photography direction and content. If I can do this at 52, almost to be 53, then you can do this at your age. And it's something you're gonna have to figure out and you figure out the platform and how it's gonna run. And the same thing with just design um, management. So teaching somebody how to use the software and start helping me with the invoicing and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not a big believer in doing something for someone. I'll train people through the like how to's and the kind of stuff, but I'm not a sit down and let me show you how to do this. Um, I have a kind of a famous saying that my boyfriend is stolen um, and thinks it's so funny, but it's you don't buy a dog and bark for it. And so <laughs> I've always figured out that if I can figure out something, so can somebody else. And that's kind of how I've ran my whole office, everything, because I want people to be invested. I want them. We, we had a, a moment where yeah. it froze, so I'm sorry about that. But I love what you say about you want your people to be invested and in sort of the way that you train is through really empowering them to learn. Well, and what would really be meaningful for me at the end of the day, I mean, I'm talking 40 years from now, um, is if I have, if I have built a company that other people are invested in enough and are making enough of a living that it could go on without me, it could go to somebody else. But I think a lot about perpetuity in business. And I feel like um, just doing something unless it's profitable isn't 
you know, I think I, I have a much different outlook now than I had when I started. Now I understand the ins and outs of the profitability. I know exactly how much money I have to make per square foot in order to make a job profitable. I know exactly how much I have to have the input of another person coming onto my team to make it valuable enough to me to have that person taking assets from what we're earning. And so it's been a hard line to kind of figure out that balance. But I think learning the backside of it and kind of working backwards while I'm doing the other side has really helped me a lot to think about the profitability of any project and really treat it like a business because I think sometimes uh, some designers, um, you know, go into things thinking this will be fun and it looks so fun. It looks so glamorous, but it is the hardest work. I mean, it is laying on the floor and pushing a sofa across the room with your feet because you have to get it moved kind of thing and hauling bags of, you know, soil or gravel somewhere because you've got a photo shoot and you have to get it done. So there's a lot of that side of the business that I don't think ever really shows because you just see the pretty pictures. But it's, you know, it's there's a lot of back end work that has to go into making sure that whatever job you do is profitable and understanding how to make that happen. So I really love that because I think in any profession that we pursue, um, I think we're taught as women not to like devalue that as a concept. And I hate that for us because I do think it puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage. So how did you teach yourself or what kind of advisors did you bring alongside you to, to, to learn and discover your, and be able to articulate your true worth per square foot, or I know that's in your industry, but like, how did you do that? Well, you know, it's the school of hard knocks. It's the best teacher um, around um, and a lot of mistakes. I mean, I have made so many mistakes. I have failed at things. And I think it's kind of taking the failure and thinking, what can I learn from it? And where do I go from it now? Because the failure can't be the defining moment. The failure is only a temporary teacher to teach you how to do something better. And so I, I'm not afraid of failing. I'm not afraid of doing something that's maybe not traditional. I, I'm a big believer of jump and figure out how to make it a soft landing on the way down. I think if you think about things way too long, then you'll never really do them. And if you're passionate about whatever you do, you'll figure out a way to make it work for you. I think the smartest thing I did was early on brought in a full-time bookkeeper and starting to really examine, because I have a clothing line and interior design firm. And then I have, I write books. We do um, an influencer side where we do projects for rentals or flips. And so really looking to kind of have a lot of areas of income um, coming in because sometimes things aren't stable on one side and they're stable somewhere else. And there's sort of always a, it's like a shell game. You know, you're constantly moving something around to see where the profitability is, but having the ability to keep all of the balls bouncing. But for me, it was being able to sit down with somebody that had all the numbers in one section, one column and looking at it, this cost X, this cost this, this cost this, this is where your profitability is. And, you know, I think that's the, you know, numbers don't lie. That's the, the bottom line. They never, they never lie. And I think too, I really worked hard on getting rid of that voice inside of myself that always said, I'm not good enough that I didn't, I didn't go to design school or I don't know this, or I don't have as big of a firm as somebody else, or, 
you know, for four years, I was working out of my basement and I just had that inner shame of like, I should be doing something differently. And so I really had to combat that of, you know what, I'm doing things my way. I'm doing the things the way I need to do. I'm doing things the way that will make sense for me as a mother that was trying to work also and getting rid of that inner voice and changing the dynamic. So whatever it was, instead of feeling bad about it, finding a way to feel good about it. What I'm doing is good because, and I think that's been an inner dialogue that I've had for 10 years and still work on. Because I think at the heart, so many women walk in and they come in with a deficit of feeling that they have to prove something and make something. And I really try to mentor a lot of younger girls. If you know what, you're already there. You don't need to go, you, you learn the skill sets, have the confidence, but you don't have to ever apologize for being ambitious. Don't apologize for wanting to make money. Don't apologize for wanting to be the best. I mean, we're taught to compete at sports, but still be really nice. And I think that's been kind of a, a hard lesson for me because it was not the way I was raised. I'm you know, from the South. I think it's always um, been much more of a demure and being like, oh, gee, shucks, thanks. I so appreciate that. But, you know, learning to just say thank you and shut up and like, yes, it is good. Um, and, you know, being proud of what you build. At the end of the day, your name's on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that I just, that resonates with me so much because having had a life event that has pushed me outside of my comfort zone into a new career, that is something that's really hard to fight. But there is something too about like having gone through that, that decision-making process, like you said a little bit earlier, it's like, I've, I've really lost everything already. I mean, why not? You know, and we talk about that a good bit the, with the comeback theory is the word that we kind of said, like, okay, most people, when they're at that, that lowest point, want to like kind of curl up and protect, you know, like that's kind of our natural instinct or many of our natural instincts, but instead it's like to encourage women to like, no, stand up. Like, this is your lowest point. You have the least to lose at right now. Yeah, it's already gone. You can't get it back. Yeah. And so, like, stand up, look around, figure out what it is that you want to do and, like, have that that bravery to, like, say, I, I'm going to do it. And it seems like it's so scary, but, and I can hear this when you're talking about it, it's also been very life-giving. Mm -hmm. um, I think embracing sometimes what you think is your weakness you know, when I, I, my, my ex, um, and I've been very open about it, was extremely abusive. And I went through a ton of therapy to kind of understand why I ended up with somebody like that. I never wanted to go there again. And in order to not do that, I had to really understand why I tolerated 20 something years of that. And I think it was through really embracing that side of me and then talking about it and putting it out in the open because one of the things you start learning as you get older is that whatever key you have can unlock somebody else's lock. I mean, you know, if you share your experiences and you embrace them and you use them towards your strength and put it as part of who you are at the core, it comes out as an authentic um, revelation of you as a person. It also resonates to other people that may not be where you are at that point they may not even have the exact same experience, but everybody has something in their life that is hard. And I think when you can really focus on sharing those times and doing it in a way of 
you know, triumphant. Here I am, fell flat on my face 52 times, but the 53rd time didn't fall over quite as fast. And maybe the 54th time I stood up a little bit longer, but just, you know, that not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to be authentic and own whatever it is that you have in your life. Because I don't know, by 50, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a past. And I think that was you know, everybody talks about, oh, turning 50. And I, I really looked forward to turning 50 because I was like, I want to be that person. And it's, it is kind of magical at 50. You're sort of like, okay, I care about nothing. I care about no one. I'm not worried if I offend anybody, I'm going to say what I'm going to do. And it's that sense of confidence. And I guess that's part of this, the climb of life that, you know, you, you go through these phases and, you know, if, if, gosh, I hope the next generation along can say 40 is the new 50 and they have that because I think it's how we train our daughters. And I think it's how we train our younger um, people that we mentor in our life and just being authentic with that and being authentic about the struggle of how it is hard to be a woman in work. And there are some great advantages to so many other things, but you know, it has not been easy. And I think I, I always feel like I owe that to other women, especially women that come to me that are going through a divorce and they need a change and they need some kind of a a kick to help get them going. But I think sharing that part of the struggle and being authentic about it and, you know, really raw and real is a much better approach to anything in life than trying to cover it up and pretend that everything's so perfect and it was so easy and I'm so successful because, you know, that really causes problems internally with yourself because at some point you have to have that judgment, you know, with face to face. And so I just, I think the main thing is just not being afraid to fail, not being afraid of failure, not being afraid of doing something wrong, not being afraid to make a fool of yourself, you know, um, so getting out of your comfort zone and then finding whatever it is you're, you're good at and making that work. But, you know, at the back end of always making it work to where, you know, I, if you played sports growing up, you get a trophy. I mean, maybe not now everybody gets a trophy, but when you were good, you got a trophy. And for me, the trophy is that bank account. It's the bottom line on a job at the number. And I've, I've had plenty that I haven't done well. And I've had to learn, of, oh my God, I worked for 300 hours and this is what I got. So it made me start realizing my own value and never apologizing for what I charge, how much something cost. And I think money's a hard thing for people to talk about. I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm in design, it is about the money. It's a, it's a transaction of goods and services for a fee. And so it's, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I'm like, yes, this is my fee and not blinking, not saying anything, and certainly not saying I'm sorry, it's expensive. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I love that. I think that, that knowing your value and being able to articulate it is so, it's just so important for women to learn. And one thing I wanted, if you feel comfortable talking about it, like for a woman who is going through a transit, like maybe she hasn't been divorced yet, but she sees it coming, or maybe she doesn't see it coming and she is going to listen to this podcast five years from now. What, what do you got the guard dog deciding he's going to, um, so <laughs> it's like, I don't want my mom to answer this question. Sit. I don't sit. Oh, don't, don't sit. Okay. All right. My little guard dog's protected us from whatever leaf was blowing. So, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I think I've, I've had women approach me a lot because I'm very, very open about talking about my situation. And anytime I lecture in a, any kind of a book tour, I full on embrace 
um, the situation. I full on feel like I should share that with people because you look at these books and they're such beautiful images. And I always talk about what went on behind the pretty images. And I usually start off saying like the book should have been called when everything's falling apart, just make it really pretty. And there's some, <laughs> there's some benefit to that of just faking it till you make it. But I tell women if they're in a situation and a lot of women are there and they don't even know that they're in an abusive situation. They know they're not happy. They know that there's something not right, but they don't know why. But my biggest piece of advice is when the pain of staying is far outweighing the pain of what do you think it's going to be to leave, that's the time to go. Because we have these times in our lives and nobody wants it, but sometimes the best thing you can do is let go. There's a Buddhist proverb of let go or be dragged. And I think about that a lot in so many things when I make decisions. If it's a client that I have that's not working out, I, it's time for both of us and it's for the best interest of both of us that maybe they have a different designer. It's certainly in mine. And I feel this way in relationships. And if it's, if it's salvageable, for God's sake, please salvage it. You know, if you can make it work, if you can go to couples counseling, if you can get a therapist, if you can make change in a dynamic. But there's a lot of women that have been in situations, it's what they either grew up with, it's what they know, it's what they've been conditioned. And they feel like they're trapped and have to stay. And I, and I'm, I am not going to sugarcoat it. Leaving was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was so financially impactful that I still have days that I think I'll never recover from it. I have had um, multiple times of being drugged into courts. I have been humiliated. I've had people say horrible things about me. It was kind of taking that of, okay, keep throwing the lemons, go ahead and learning to take them and just pile them up and be like, great, that is my new platform I'm gonna stand on. You cannot throw any rocks at me anymore that are gonna hurt me because whatever you throw at me, I'm gonna use as a foundation to keep building and to keep climbing on. And I just, you know, I lecture a lot around domestic abuse and I do a percentage of proceeds towards any book signing events that I do to benefit that. I'm actually organizing something in Palm Beach um, for an organization because I see a lot of impact now with COVID of women that are staying at home, trying to work from home. Uh, they had somebody that left the house for a great period of the day and they could tolerate it. And when they're not, it becomes unbearable. And so I'm really, that's probably the bottom line that kind of drives me is if I could help one woman get out of a situation that I was in and do it um, to preserve her own life and to have an, a new life she never thought she could have, then whatever I've shared is so worth it. But it's, um, it's not, you know, life isn't easy. And, you know, I, I think that um, I, I love when people tell me they got great divorces and they're friends with their ex and, you know, he gave them all the money in the world and they've moved on seamlessly, you know, that I'm jealous. Like, I will flat out say that. It's not how it happened for me. It's not how it happens for a lot of women. And I think, you know, the other part I see is a lot of people afraid to talk about um, the money during a marriage and how your value comes into it, particularly if you're a stay-at-home mother. And I think that has to be addressed. And I mean, you know, it's a scary thing to bring up, but, you know, I've certainly had, um, I've been a single now 11 years and I live with somebody and it's a partnership um, and people constantly ask if we're going to get married or engaged. And I'm like, there's no point. Um, 
but I think it's owning my own independence and always making sure that that stays as a separate person. So I just, and especially young girls, I really, they, they need to understand money. They need to understand compounding interest. They need to understand their own worth and they certainly need to have their own bank accounts and, and have their own independence financially. Um, and it's, you know, I, I didn't, I did not even have a credit card to my own name. I had a sax card that really didn't do much um, to help me um, in a divorce, but I, I couldn't even pay divorce attorneys, which is how I got into a horrible situation with divorce attorneys because, you know, when you're powerless financially, you don't have the ability to take care of yourself to make the decisions that can impact your life forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, this has been so powerful. And I mean, you, you could be like the face of the wealth edit for us because it is so much of, I mean, like that's our hope here with the wealth edit is that women will join and us. Together. We need women like you, you know, speaking up and saying this is how you do it and getting people connected. I think women are such powerful networkers. They're such powerful connectors. You know, if women ran the world, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the problems we have. Women are collaborators. They they want to make things better. And I, you know, I, I help, I work with a group here and it's a small group of women business. And I would not even have near the success without those people. And I know it, but it's reaching your hand out to another woman and saying, I may not have the skills that you need, but I might know somebody that you could, that could benefit and help you and putting people together. And I'm so grateful y'all do this because it's a powerful message. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. And this is for like a little plug here with the wealth that is we've started doing um, some office hour calls where women can call in and just talk to us and share their story, just like you're doing now, because we do want to connect women with other women. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that is by like getting to know our members, like really understanding like, what is it that they're trying to do? Are they going through a divorce? Are they trying to build a business? And then being able to say, oh, have you, you know, maybe you should reach out to Danielle or, you know, however it is, you know, other members just connecting them, putting them in small groups and doing that. So I love hearing you say that. And it is so true. I know that has been such a big part of like my professional progression, but also my personal progression and just having other women around me telling me like, you can do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anyway, so this has been so wonderful. And we always end our interviews with the question of why did you say yes to the wealth edit? And I think you've kind of already answered that, but would love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I think anything that supports women, supporting other women and connecting women to help them um, get a step up, to help them get their foot in the door to help them get, you know, whatever it is, is a powerful connecting force in our world. And I, I always want to be a part of that. I, I would love nothing more than to see 10 other women succeed um, far past whatever I've been able to do. And I just, I look forward to the future. Well, we really appreciate you being on here. I mean, it is, it's so wonderful for women to hear from someone like you, who we all would just love to be a little bit more like, you know, that it's not, but it is Maybe beautiful. Not now. <laughs> yeah, no, but it is beautiful. Even but it's not, so. it's not without its difficulties, you know, like that's the story that really needs to be told. And I think mm -hmm. particularly in design where everything does look perfect all the time, you know, and that it's just that, that you're real and that you, um, anyway, I, I'm just very touched. 
So thank you so much for being thank with us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I've appreciated this opportunity to get to share the story. Well, thanks. And we'll talk to you again if you'll have us. I would love that. Okay. Right. Thank thanks. you, Danielle. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you want to learn more about our website, please check us out at www.wealthedit.com. The Wealth Edit is an online membership-based community for women looking to confidently discuss and expand their knowledge of personal finance. Our community provides a space for women of all ages to gather, learn, and plan their financial journey through virtual courses, weekly guest speakers, and educational content.